0: Welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Ramlick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, Australians at some point later this year will have to make a decision on whether a voice to Parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders ought to be incorporated into the Constitution. Now, in recent times, I've had discussions with people who are confused about aspects of what they're hearing in the media and elsewhere, and there's great merit in breaking things down. So somebody who's got a lot of knowledge in this area, who's a constitutional uh, expert, um, possibly guru, um, uh, and is able to take us through this and engage with some of those issues is Dr. Shereen Morris. Now, She's a senior lecturer at Macquarie, a university, but she's had a raft of different roles in her career, including one as a Senior Policy Advisor uh, on Con- uh, Constitutional Reform Research Fellow with the Cape York Institute. So um, Shireen will help us navigate some of this and try and understand what's going on, because every one of us has got a, an important involve- involvement in this discussion. Shireen, thank you so much for giving up your time today. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Good to talk to you. And uh, thank you. Now, there there are people out there who will have heard about you generally in the media. I like starting conversations like this uh, by giving the guests an opportunity to to introduce themselves in a sense. What would your career look like for someone uh, who'd never met you if you had to summarise it on the back of an envelope? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. So I'm Australian, born in Melbourne, of Indian and Fijian Indian background. I, you know, did an arts degree at Melbourne University, English major. Then I went off and became an actor and a singer all through my 20s, actually. And I studied law um, at Monash later in life. And I did an internship that, as you said, took me up to Cape York Institute, where I met the Aboriginal leader, Noel Pearson. This was back in 2011. And um, strangely, he offered me a job working on Indigenous constitutional recognition, which was a new area for me back then. And I then spent the next seven years um, helping him drive the Institute's policy on Indigenous constitutional recognition and particularly this idea of a constitutionally guaranteed Indigenous body later after the Uluru Statement, which became known as a voice and yeah, then I worked at Melbourne University as a postdoctoral fellow, and now I'm a senior lecturer and director of the Radical Centre Reform Lab at Macquarie University Law School.
0: Now you are a you are doctor, Shabreen Morris. You've done a PhD. Um, can you briefly outline what you did your PhD in?
1: Yeah, so I did my PhD while working at Cape York Institute and while working with Noel on this idea of a constitutionally guaranteed Indigenous advisory and consultative body. Um, So the work at the Institute very much fed into my PhD research and vice versa. So my PhD was on the idea of a constitutionally guaranteed voice in the Australian Constitution. Um, I submitted that PhD in 2017 and it a couple of years later, it came out as a book um, by Hart Publishing. So, yeah, I've been been thinking about and advocating these ideas for a long time.
0: Now, one of the things before we get into aspects of the discourse on on the voice and constitutional change and what it takes to get there, it um, it is probably appropriate that we break down what the Uluru statement is. Um, from your perspective, uh, so that people listening understand. I've had conversations with a range of people, uh, relatives and friends and others, who are aware of the Uluru Statement, who know the Prime Minister said it, he, he his objective is to implement it completely, but they're not sure of the components, and even understanding how a voice might work is difficult Difficult for them. They haven't got a clear picture. Um The Uluru Statement uh, has three components, doesn't it? Can you you give us a bit of background and then take us through each component?
1: Yeah, sure. So the Uluru Statement from the Heart um, was an extraordinary achievement by Indigenous Australians in 2017. It culminated out of a set of regional dialogues run by the Referendum Council at the time. And it was the first time ever in Australian history that Indigenous people across the country came to a united consensus position on how they want to be constitutionally recognised. So that's really important to understand because there's a long, long history of Indigenous people asking for constitutional reform and empowerment and recognition. But a lot of that advocacy of the past emanated from particular regions and particular individuals. So this was the first time ever that Indigenous people forged a national consensus um, on how they want to be recognised in the Australian constitution. And they asked for one constitutional reform. So they asked for a constitutionally guaranteed voice in their affairs, so a constitutional guarantee that they will have a fairer say in laws and policies made about them. And they additionally asked for a Makarata Commission, which could be set up in legislation which would oversee agreement-making and truth-telling in the relationship between Indigenous peoples and Australian governments.
0: You've got three components there. You've got the voice, which we're focused on at the moment as a constitutional amendment have got the truth-telling uh, Mac- Macaranda Commission, and then we've got treaty, haven't we? Um, how do you explain treaty to people who are not familiar with the concept in um, in the context of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs? How do we how do we explain that to people, Shireen?
1: I mean, I think the easiest way to explain it is that treaties are agreements. So other colonised countries historically often had founding treaties. So when the colonisers came, sometimes they enacted, quite often they enacted um, treaties with the Indigenous peoples in those lands. A good example for us in Australia is New Zealand. New Zealand was founded with the 1840 Treaty of Waitangi, which was an agreement between Maori chiefs and the Crown. Um, Australia sits apart from countries like New Zealand, Canada and the US because those countries had founding treaties whereas we had no um, recognised treaty with Indigenous peoples when the colonisers came to Australia. So the, the call for treaties by Indigenous Australians now I think can be best understood as agreements. They're really talking about agreements between Indigenous communities and Australian governments to, um, you know, settle matters of importance um, to Indigenous communities and Australian governments. Um, And they're reached by negotiation and they can only be, they can only happen if the parties agree.
0: Okay. So that that, that paints that picture, Um, which then brings us into the present time in relation to the voice. Now, we come back to your first point um, with respect to the voice. there um, there There are various debates happening at the moment one of which is related to the voice as a consultative mechanism. Yeah, from time to time, we hear the argument. Actually, probably hear it more than time to, from time to time. We hear it a lot, and that is consultative mechanisms exist. They're already there. Uh, people, people consult with uh, communities um, and various Yeah, various uh, individuals. Why does a voice need to be established?
1: Well, I don't think consultation does happen effectively at the moment, and you can see numerous examples of failures of Australian governments uh, to consult and hear the advice of Indigenous communities when making laws and policies about them. So a recent example is the winding back of alcohol management uh, plans in the Northern Territory against the wishes of quite a few Indigenous communities and then um, the rushed re-implementation of those alcohol management plans. Another example is the Jakin Gorge disaster, you know, where the minister um, failed to act to prevent ancient Indigenous heritage, which saw the destruction of a really valuable Indigenous heritage site there. Um, The failure to close the gap by governments of left and right for many decades now, uh, the the complete and utter failure of politicians to, to address Indigenous disadvantage, I think, speaks to the need for a proper guaranteed mechanism whereby Indigenous communities can truly partner. Truly partner with Australian governments and parliaments to enact better laws and policies um, that will hopefully, through that partnership, produce better practical outcomes in Indigenous affairs.
0: There are two issues that come up in what you've just said. One of which is there are circumstances in which you know, policies that were uh, working. If we take if we take the the issue of alcohol restrictions and alcohol bans, policies that were working, were removed. The minute they were removed, or uh, about on or at the time they were removed, it began to uh, 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 decorum or poor behaviour began to sort of rise again. Um, how do you see a? Um, An Indigenous voice working in that situation because it's one thing to have people communicating, but it's another thing to uh, enforce the listener into acting a particular way.
1: That's right. I mean, and there's no guarantee that advice from a voice will be followed because, of course, there's no veto, right? So that's very important to understand. But the idea of constitutionally guaranteed advice and constitution a constitutionally guaranteed voice is an idea that I think comes with moral and political weight so after a referendum this voice would have the endorsement of the Australian people and I think the idea is to embed a principle of partnership into the Constitution that carries weight it carries moral weight and that is the importance of having it in the Constitution so firstly, the the fact that if it's in the constitution, the advisory body cannot be gotten rid of, right, unlike ATSIC, it it, it is guaranteed. Parliament must maintain an Indigenous body. However, Parliament would retain flexibility to improve, adjust and evolve the design of that institution, the details of that institution over time. So, So this is a proposal that strikes a really good balance between stability And longevity of the voice, that there will always be a voice if this referendum is successful, but at the same time it retains flexibility so that it can improve over time. Um, So I think that is the key, that this is about voting on a new principle of partnership that we want to carry real weight. So we want this to change the way um, policies and laws are made in Indigenous affairs for the better. You know, a true principle of partnership at every stage of policy development in Indigenous affairs.
0: Um, the There is another thing, isn't there, uh, that sits more broadly in terms of regulatory analysis and the analysis of governance, and that is if consultation is weak in the space of Indigenous affairs, it may also be equally weak elsewhere. Um and it's it may speak to the need does it not to to do a proper um to do a proper uh, stock take of the way in which consultation works across the board
1: well that might be true but i think it's important to remember that indigenous yeah. australians are in a unique position you know this is the only group that was dispossessed when the British came and colonised Australia. This is the only group that was specifically excluded from the Constitution of 1901. This is the only group whereby the Commonwealth has a special power, the race power, that it only makes laws, it uses to make laws about Indigenous people for Indigenous affairs, right? Um, so the power that was amended in the 1967 referendum gave the Commonwealth a special power to make laws about Indigenous people. That power's only ever been used about Indigenous people. So, so that history speaks to the fact that Indigenous peoples occupy a unique legal, political and historical status in this country. Um, that status has, in the past, been a status of exclusion You know, they've been excluded from Australia's constitutional arrangements. This is about inclusion and proper recognition of Indigenous peoples as the first Australian and doing so in a way that turns an unfair power relationship into a fairer, more productive power relationship. I I think that that is the way I understand the purpose of Indigenous constitutional recognition. You know, what are we actually trying to do here Well, the Constitution is all about power. It sets up very important power relationships in Australia. Um, But the relationship it sets up between Indigenous peoples and Australian governments and parliaments has been an unfair, top-down power relationship. That's why we are producing laws and policies that don't work, that don't close the gap. This is about recognising Indigenous peoples in the constitution in a way that creates a fairer, better, more productive power relationship, a a relationship of true partnership.
0: Now, uh, there is something I've written about um, in Crikey but I wanted to run past you because it's an issue that I've got a bugbear about up front to you and the audience um, and that is uh, the one one of the things that isn't happening in the context of this referendum is uh, I would call it a voice plus but if you put the voice in place you recognize a a constitutional consultation uh, a process there's something else that is seems um, not to have been either thought about properly or is not existent in discourse, and that is ensuring that the parliament itself has um, a mandate or mandates um, a good within its committee structures, a joint parliamentary committee or committees that uh, are charged with the task of, uh, you know, communicating with the has said, but also uh, given, the, given the terms of reference that deal with issues like, you know, tradition, culture, uh, history, um so you don't get a situation like we had with Duncan Gorge, where you know, you've got his historical sites, culturally important sites, being being damaged. Is that something you've thought about in 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 your time in thinking about the voice? How you might how the Parliament itself um, deals with the, the consultation process, and, and whether there's a need for things to be made concrete in the Constitution on that side of the equation?
1: It's a really interesting point and several experts have proposed a similar idea, that it's true that um, Parliament should have uh, proper mechanisms and a joint committee in Parliament seems like a good way of interacting and hearing, receiving, considering the advice of the voice. Um, That's definitely true. But I don't think that needs to be in the Constitution. I think that can be dealt with in legislation and the processes and procedures that Parliament would put in place to ensure that the voice operates effectively. I think um, it's important to be um, sort of smart and choosy about what you try and put in the Constitution and what you leave for legislation. And I think the the, the good idea, of a joint select committee or a parliamentary committee to interact with the voice, I think that's a good idea, but I think it properly belongs in legislation um, along with a lot of the other the other mechanics of how the voice would operate in practice.
0: Okay, so you're comfortable with Section 50 of the Constitution still being the way it is, which is both houses decide how they do their business, but... um you know, you'd prefer the Parliament itself uh, to 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 embrace the concept of, you know, joint, um, say, joint parliamentary committees, as opposed to what happened under the coalition government um, uh, prior to May last year, which was the uh, lower house had a committee on Indigenous affairs. And the Albanese government now has a joint parliamentary committee. Uh, parliamentary committee for those who aren't certain of both houses of parliament uh, dealing with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs. So you're happy. You're you're happy to leave Section fifty the way it is.
1: That's right. I th- I think we look. The Constitution should be amended to require Parliament to establish an Indigenous voice which would have the function of giving advice to Parliament and the Executive on laws and policies about Indigenous affairs and it should leave to Parliament the mechanics and details about how that should operate. And I think parliamentary committees are political questions that should be left up to Parliament to determine. It's important to remember that the whole point of this proposal is that it substantively recognises and empowers Indigenous people with a voice in their affairs, while respecting parliamentary supremacy. And it really is a proposal that is modest yet profound in that way. It strikes a really sensible balance. It upholds the constitution and respects parliamentary supremacy. And that's why it leaves to parliament all the details about how this voice will function and process uh, and practice in, in practice.
0: My. Um my writing about that particular concept and about mandating it in the Constitution, it probably comes from my general scepticism about the conduct of politicians in, in, um, uh, in you know, government more generally, let alone in the context of uh, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues. In terms of the campaign, well, the, 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 the outreach uh, at the moment. Well, how are you seeing the process at the current time, Shereen?
1: So it was quite exciting. Um, the campaign kicked off in Adelaide just last week. Um, uh-huh. So that that's great. Um, apparently the government is going to put the bill for the constitutional amendment to the parliament towards the end of March. And uh, they say there'll be a parliamentary committee to to discuss that. Um, So I think we're sort of at the beginning phases of um, what I hope will be a ramping up campaign. Um, I've been, me and my team have been doing a lot of work around multi-faith and multicultural communities and raising awareness in those sectors of the Australian population. Um, Last week, um, I released a book um, co-edited with Damien Freeman, showcasing multi-faith and multicultural Australians making the moral case for a voice in the Constitution. Um, that's called Statements from the Soul. So I think there's a lot of a lot of work going on, um, trying to you know raise awareness, and there's an immense goodwill I think in the Australian community, and it's about finding um, platforms and mechanisms to to let all the different Australians out there who um, want to express support for this, giving them the opportunity to do so.
0: One of the things I um, wanted to talk to you about is is the role the media plays in in the context of the campaign, just as a general rule. Um, There are those who may not be aware that you appeared uh, last September, in a in what was a fairly thorough discussion about aspects of The Voice and Sky News. Uh, obviously, yourself and Dean Parkin were the voices, for, if I can use the term, uh, for the Yes case. And on the other side, you had Andrew Bolt and News Corporation, to the columnist and, and Sky News host, and, and Senator Jacinta Price. Um, a long term uh, no. Case advocate. How do you find the interaction with media um, uh, on this particular topic? How, how's that going?
1: I think there's been good coverage of it. Um, I do think it's disappointing when um blatant factual inaccuracies are not corrected by editors and journalists. So that's been sort of a frustration. Uh, that that clearly incorrect views are sort of you know allowed to to go unanswered. Um, I I'm a big believer in public debate, so I I really think you've got to have open, transparent, and honest debate. And I think um, the incorrect views need to be refuted. But journalists and the media have a very serious responsibility here to ensure that. Um, debates are fair, and that where uh, no cases are being put forward, that the opportunity for the yes case is then given in a fair way as well. Um, so, so I look. I think I think in Australia, by and large, we're pretty lucky. We've got we've got robust media discussion and open debate. We've got a good democracy. Um, so I, I just think we just need to keep having the debate, and where there are uh, mistruths out there it we all each of us all journalists the media we really do have a responsibility to um to un- uncover the facts uncover the facts and and show Australians the the real state of affairs
0: I've been talking to Dr Shereen Morris senior lecturer at Macquarie University um about the voice, and she'd been involved for, for many a year looking at the establishment of an indigenous voice to Parliament. Shireen, is there anything else we haven't covered um, that you would uh, that that sits in the back of your mind that it bobs up from time to time, but you've never, no one's ever given you the opportunity to say? Oh,
1: look, I have said it before, but. You know, this is a, this is, you think about the history here that we are trying as a country to grapple with and reconcile. Think about the history of dispossession and injustice that Indigenous people have suffered. You think about the laws and policies that used to control where they could live, who they could marry, the policies that used to withhold wages, the policies that would deny rights to their own land. You know, Indigenous people have been through a lot. And in 2017, they got together and gave to us, the Australian people, a hand outstretched, a request for inclusion in the Constitution through just an advisory voice. I mean, the profound generosity and modesty of that request for inclusion, the fact that after everything they've been through, they came to us and said, well, we want to be included in the Australian Constitution and all we want is an advisory voice when Parliament and government make laws and policies about Indigenous affairs. To me, that that is very modest, very reasonable, you know, and As you said earlier, there is a lot of noise in this discussion, but amidst all the argument around the sort of detail or no detail, this legal interpretation or that legal interpretation, amidst all the argument around the esoteric edges of this proposal, it boils down to a moral question. Do we think Indigenous people deserve to be recognised in the Constitution and do we think, they deserve a guaranteed voice when Parliament and government make laws and policies about their affairs. Um, so, so I think we need to drill through the noise, and the media and journalists need to help us um, sort through the noise and understand the fundamental question at stake here for the country. Shireen, you. you
0: somebody wanted to read more about your work um or uh, yeah the general issue of the voice where would you recommend they go online
1: so um there's the radical Center reform lab website which is part of Macquarie University Law School you can visit that site see what we've been up to um as I said earlier we've released a book recently of multi-faith and multicultural Australians making the moral case for the voice referendum. That's called Statements from the Soul. Um, I've published a lot on this topic and and most of that, all of that is available online. I published this book called Radical Heart in 2018, which tells the story of my work with Noel Pearson over the years, um, helping to advocate for this proposal. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of this stuff is available online. Um, And there is also a new um, website that multicultural communities have got behind called multiculturalforvoice.org, where multicultural communities across the country are signing up to a joint resolution supporting the voice referendum. It is really inspiring to see. Um, That's multiculturalforvoice.org, around 43 cultural and ethnic organisations have signed up so far. And um, that comes off the back of the joint resolution of the peak religious organisations that was released uh, last year with Rachel Perkins, the Indigenous filmmaker, last year in May. You know, so what we're seeing is Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, Buddhist Australians and Australians of many migrant backgrounds coming um, together behind this. So I really encourage your listeners to check out those websites.
0: Shireen, you've been extremely generous with your time today. Um, I do hope we have a chance to have another chat about uh, this further down the track. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, Tom, for the opportunity.
0: Absolute pleasure.